0: Now Julian is known these days as an elite endurance athlete, a smoke diver graduate, but he tells his very courageous story of how that wasn't the case, how he failed out of fire school, how he found himself very deconditioned, and the incredible journey to the high-level tactical athlete he's become. We also discuss other topics from losing Emilio Rivera, a local firefighter we lost to suicide and a good friend of Julian's, to his new mentorship program and everything in between. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, I truly do love reading your feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly elevates this podcast, making it more and more visible for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 500 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Julian Serrano. Enjoy. So, Julian, I want to start by saying welcome to my home and welcome back to Ocala.
1: I appreciate you having me, James. Thank you.
0: So, for people listening, um, where do you call home at the moment?
1: So, currently right now, I reside in Miami, Florida. And and that's that's my home with uh, my beautiful fiancé. So
0: Beautiful. So, starting at the very beginning, tell me where you were born and then tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings.
1: So, um, um, me and my brother are uh the only children that my my parents had born and raised in hialeah florida and then at the age of six and seven we moved to palm beach county so palm beach county um they wanted to get out of the the hustle and bustle of miami so palm beach is about an hour north and um so i was born and raised uh, at that location until the age of 18. and then i was um always on the path of wanting to be a firefighter because of my, my godfather. So, um, godfather one day picked me up from school and, uh, he was dressed up in obviously his uniform and he's, he has been a chief for as long as I can remember. And, um, you know, I, I would always look up to him and, and I knew I wanted to be a firefighter from that day forward. And so, uh, in high school I played sports <clears throat> and I just kind of neglected everything, did the minimum because i just i knew i wanted to be a firefighter and i had no idea how important education would be one day um so i kind of bypassed that and then i went to i went to fire school
0: so brilliant what do your parents do
1: uh so they own a, a garbage company a compactor business all, all the compactors behind all the commercial structures like walmart publix home depot um, so they fix sell and repair
0: compactors brilliant now um obviously as you know my first fire department was Hialeah. So, do you remember I'm talking about that? Do you remember, you know, living there, your experience was?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a different world. Um, obviously, Miami is, is, is very densely populated and uh, a lot of culture, a lot of energy. But um, but as as young kids, um, I think they made the best decision in the aspect of moving to a place that was a lot slower, um, a lot more engagement in the school system. And, um, and so, you know, my brother and I hated it because we were the only uh, Spanish-speaking people up there. So, we had to transition and to learn English. And uh, that was tough. That was really tough. But once we learned English, um, we were bilingual. And uh, we assimilated in the community, you know, just fine. So, so
0: where did you move to? Uh,
1: West Palm. Okay.
0: Yeah, because it's funny because when I worked for Hialeah, um, they had two... two groups of firefighters the julios and the johnnies <laughs> the julios were the you know, mainly cuban and then the johnnies were the you know the, the white were, dudes yeah. and girls um but i was amazed coming from england you know going there i mean i think when i was there i think it was 96 percent cuban yeah and every call was done in spanish so you know it was hard for me i mean i really wanted to communicate with these people and i could say you know it's a Cheque la pression or you know azuka but I couldn't converse. I right. couldn't calm down an irate little girl or, you know, a scared elderly lady. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's crazy in Palm beach. Uh, the
1: dynamics a little different. Um, I'm, I'm usually one of the few on the, on the crew that speak Spanish and it's just second nature. Um, you know, there's no guessing. It's just, I just transition into the, the, the Hispanic role and just obviously, uh, dictate what's going on. And then if I need to, uh, you know, to calm people down, I can do that or I can get information or, or whatever the case may be. So, um, I kind of take it for granted now, looking at that because there's a lot of people that um, just can't do that. And there's a lot of information we need to get in a, in a timely manner. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, body language and just be able to do a visual assessment was very important. I think yeah, that's a language barrier. Absolutely. And actually, I spoke French and that became handy in uh, Orlando when okay. I worked there because we had a lot of Haitians so you know they speak creole right. but the french is kind of the the mediator the middle awesome. language um you just made something flash in my mind i don't think i've ever asked anyone this on mic but coming from a cuban background do you know the origin of throwing rub- rubbing alcohol on someone who's having an emergency <laughs> i do not uh <laughs> i do not know that that in vapor
1: rub is apparently a uh cure-all um but i do not know where <laughs> where that came from um I, I don't know. I've seen it myself and uh, I just, it never happened in my family, but there's definitely some families that, um, you know, there's a lot of traditions that come from Cuba that I do believe work and then I I think they just think they work and it's more of a placebo effect,
0: so. Right. Now, your um, parents were immigrants from Cuba, is that right?
1: No, their parents were. They their were parents. born and raised
0: in Miami. Okay. So, what what has been a discussion in your family as far as Cuba, Um, you know, when you were young and then the more recent events as well, have you had any kind of uh, discussions with them?
1: Well, it's just, you know, uh, our people have been suffering for a long time and the only hope that my grandparents had were, 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 leaving. And unfortunately they saw the writing on the wall. They were very educated and they wanted their kids to have the, the biggest opportunity to, to live the life they wanted and not be suppressed like most of the people are. So they decided to bring, uh, the kids or, or come to America and then have kids in Miami. And, um, it, it's unfortunate, you know, the, the events currently, but it's like anything. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger problem than any of us can really handle. Um, and, and to, to change it, it's, it takes a, a group of people, not just one person that says, Hey, let's go help these people. So,
0: absolutely well back to your journey you mentioned about being inspired to be a firefighter when you're younger um but not taking preparation seriously so kind of what was your fitness level and what were you playing at school age
1: so I've, i'd always been uh in sports so i was always in decent shape and then senior year after football season uh so coming into january february i broke my ankle playing basketball with just the guys and um I gained a tremendous amount of weight, um, overlooked a lot of it, went to EMT school, which requires zero fitness, uh, ability and EMT went on to December. So I graduated high school in May, uh, went to EMT school in August, finished that in December, took my national passed the national, then went to fire school in January. And, um, I went to the Florida State Fire College, which uh, still holds to this day uh, a high standard of, of minimum standards. And uh, I did not meet that standard whatsoever. Um, I was last in all the PT and all the runs. Um, every evolution was was hell on earth. <laughs> and not because the evolution was hard, just due to the fact that I was in piss poor shape. So um, the first time I went through, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Chief Chad Belger. He ran uh, the PT for us. And, um, the first time, I mean, he was, I hated the guy cause I mean, every time he showed up, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a long, long, every day was a long day for me, but when he showed up, it was a super long day. And then, um, you know, fast forward to when I went back to fire school the second time, um, I, I made it a point that like, when I came back that like, I was going to show him that like, like I, I put the work in and I came prepared the second time. So. Yeah.
0: Well, people recognize that name. That was Chad. He's been on twice now. And obviously he's got his own physical and mental journey that's yeah, incredibly absolutely. powerful. Um, so let's talk about that. So what, what standard didn't you meet? How did they cut you from the program? Cause I think it's very important, you know, holding a standard high. And I think the Florida State Fire College does. And then walk me through your, your EMS journey. Yeah. So basically
1: I, uh, <clears throat> just, Was out of shape and we had the maze evolution. Um, Prior to the maze, we had done some type of circuit and I was exhausted and put in a tight space and uh, I just freaked out. And obviously, if you don't complete certain tasks or evolutions um, on the syllabus, you know, you're gone. So it was very simple, like you didn't complete it, um, you're gone. So came back home, just kind of lost in the world, didn't know what I was going to do. I was an EMT, so I, uh, I got hired at the uh, AMR Ambulance Company in South Florida and kind of went down a dark, dark road because that job is not high speed or high energy whatsoever. It's kind of just pick people up that need to be transferred from hospital to hospital or from hospital to home. Um, so it's not really any hero, life-saving, uh, you know, fulfillment in any aspect. But um, I, one night I, I finally made a decision – that enough was enough and I wanted to be the person I always strive to be. And uh, so I stopped making excuses and the next day I st- started putting in the work and um, fast forward three to four months, uh, I reattended Florida State Fire School. So that was 2014.
0: So w- I think it's an important thing. What was your heaviest weight and then what did you do to get yourself back to the standard that you needed to be to succeed the second time?
1: So, I, I got up to almost 300 pounds. I think it was 295. Um, I currently weigh 210. Um, so, not a crazy uh, 200, 300 pound difference in weight, but a, a good amount for me. And um, I just, you know, instilled the dis- the daily discipline of eating correctly, of exercising two to three times a day, putting my gear on, getting in the heat, getting uncomfortable, getting ready for fire school. I think a lot of people put an emphasis on fitness and not an emphasis on, on mentality based workouts, workouts that are simple to do, but if you add heat and and duration, they will get challenging. Um, So like anybody, if you put your gear on and go for a a 60 minute walk, it's pretty, it's pretty taxing and all you're doing is walking. (laughs) So it's, it's rucking, but you're, you, you can't expel the heat that you're creating inside your gear. And um, it's obviously all uneven with your air pack and you know the, the bunker coat restricts movement and stuff like that. So, um, so that's exactly what I did. And three to four months of that, I I was I was a polar opposite version of myself from that one night that I made that decision of of changing.
0: So now, what about nutrition? What did it look like? Because when people say, "Oh, I eat clean," but you know, yeah, yeah, I, obviously I, is I kinda honestly
1: kind of made it very simple. I uh, calorie restricted and then if it didn't serve a purpose, I didn't eat it. So, empty calories, I didn't, there was no empty calories. Um, it was either uh, eggs and avocado or it was uh, chicken or, or broccoli and rice or steak and salad or it was very simple. I didn't, com- I made it very easy for, for me to eat. Like, I didn't complicate it. It was, well, I need protein. I need a carb. I need protein. I need some roughage, whether it be broccoli, kale, spinach. Um, in the morning, uh, some fruit with a low glycemic index, so berries, uh, kind of stayed away from the pineapple and mango. Um, bananas were hit or miss. And um, I just ate less, ate less and worked out more. So it was tough. Um, you know, I was hungry. Um, but I think anybody that wants to go on a, a, a fitness or weight loss journey, there, there's a point that you have to do that to get to where you want to be. And then you transition your caloric intake into um, a certain amount of protein, fats, and carbohydrates to achieve performance. But before you achieve performance, you have to lose the initial weight to, to
0: get there. So, um, that's not the only way. That's just the way I did it. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, the ambulance… Um- time that you put in was it one of those dynamics where you were on the rig the whole time waiting for a call to come in or did you have some sort of building that you could no i don't know,
1: no building just yeah. on the road yeah
0: see i think that's one of the, the most horrendous things obviously pd as well but you know you mentioned uh, there's no standard in emt and paramedic physical standard and i think there absolutely should be because as everyone knows like you know these patients aren't light especially in the united states of america um they don't fall in nice wide open spaces and, you know, God forbid you're a medic or an EMT that responds to the Vegas shooting or, you know, Katrina, before you can even use the skills that you've been given, there's going to be a physical element to, you know, to what, to, to, to accessing the patient a lot of times. So it kills me that we do have this accepted thing that if you're not fire, if you just EMS, that it's fine for you to be, you know, overweight or even obese. And we see it so much and it's heartbreaking because you'd want that responder to have a a vibrant life and a long you know, retirement as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's,
1: to me, it, it's unacceptable. I mean, we are uh, a beacon of light in the community from the EMS standpoint or the fire department standpoint. So you are representing um, the community, you're, you're representing a hero, right? Um, whether it be EMS or fire or combined, um, you are always representing something that's bigger than yourself. And um, you would just wanna just ask a simple question, if you showed up to your own house, would you feel comfortable with that person putting the house fire out or saving, you know, your mom or grandma from a medical emergency um, and, you know, uh, perceptions, everything. So um, there's there's definitely a, a big thing. And I think a lot of people get confused with the the weight loss of of either body shaming or this or that. Um, it's it's pretty proven that if you if you look good usually feel good for the most part um there's obviously the mental health aspect of it but um but having a a good looking body does bring a level of self-confidence um that you know it's you know you walk different you act different you you apply that to your skills you apply that to uh, the way you operate um you know so it's it kind of bleeds into a lot of things in life um your 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 physical um you know physique um, and there's obviously people that are, are bigger that are awesome, awesome humans. Um, and, and I have a lot of friends that that are. But <clears throat> from the aspect of of the fire department, you know, portrayal of, of everyday heroes, you know, you definitely want somebody that is a beacon. And, you know, you, you have the confidence in them that they'll accomplish any any job. You know, when they call 911, they don't they just want a, a brain surgeon that could solve any problem um and and so that's that's my take on it,
0: yeah, well, I don't use the word fat shaming, and I think that's I've had a discussion with some other people um that's the enemy of progress that that phrase because it's about intent, yeah, if you're being a horrible person and you're making fun of someone, especially if someone's in the gym and they're trying to lose the weight, then you're just a piece of shit. the person caught that's fat shaming, but caring and and wanting someone to to be healthier live longer kind of unlearn the bs that is oh you know you're big you're beautiful keep taking your statins and your you know cholesterol meds and that's normal no that's wrong but also with the standard when you were overweight the florida state fire academy set that standard and they held to it and you weren't at that point in a place where you could function as a firefighter you went back you did the work and when you came back you were absolutely aversion the only thing that changes you put the work to get your body to be able to the same julian was there both times one was prepared one was unprepared and so that's it so that's not fat shaming that's saying hey we're going to give you a license or a certificate that's going to allow you to save lives or take lives if you don't do it properly so you know that i hate it when people say about fat shaming because it's it's performance you know, it's not fat shaming. It's, I need you to be, you can look, whatever, but I need you to be able to ascend this amount of stairs, lift this, this person off the floor, drag this person, climb through this confined space. You know, and if you can't, no worries. If you, if you, if you're in a, you know, your lack of desire to own your fitness is more important than service, then absolutely go do a profession where lives don't hang in the balance. But, you know, EMT and paramedic and dispatch even should be, given the tools and the standards to keep themselves, they don't have to be as fit, obviously, in dispatch, but it kills me when I see our dispatchers, you know, getting sicker and sicker as the years go on. You know, that job is setting them up for failure too. Doctors and nurses, you know, all these professions, we need them to be operating at the highest level, so we should be giving them the shifts that allow them to thrive and access to the fitness. A number of times I've been in an agency that has a medic-only side, and they're kind of like disregarded from all the fitness stuff and the wellness initiatives. Why? We're not running into burning buildings every day. We're (laughs) doing mainly EMS. So what is the difference?
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think, um, and I'm just using this as an example, but Florida State Fire College sets the individual up for success. And what I mean by that is they maintain a standard that will make that person successful at whatever job they apply to. Um, I know a lot of guys that don't become firefighters, but the standard that was set at the school they, that bleeds into their life. Like there was a standard set and like, now they've set a standard in their own life, um, whether it's fitness every day, uh, or whatever the case may be. But we, we've gone away from uh, you know, setting a standard in, in all areas of life and just letting people come along and then putting those people in positions where they're not failing. And they were they were set up to fail. They were not set up to succeed. Um, had I passed that evolution or they had just, you know, waved the wand and just said, hey, come on down. Um, I would have been put in the position to save somebody and I would not be physically fit to do so. So um, they did an amazing job. And ultimately, it, it came down to how bad did I want it, right? How bad do you want to serve? How bad do you want to be a firefighter? And I wanted it back. So, I put the work in and, and, and you know, went back. So
0: Beautiful. So, tell me about that a second time then, performance-wise. What was the difference? Yeah.
1: So, the second time, you know, I, I was I was in shape. I was in better shape. I wasn't in, in, the, in the best shape of my life, but I was in better shape. Um, I was in the middle of the pack of the runs. Um, most of the PT, um, I, was, I, was, I was doing well. Wasn't the best. Wasn't the worst. Um, still a young kid. Still a lot of growing to do. But... I had the confidence. That was the biggest thing. Like I had the confidence that um, I could hang and, and do everything required of me to do. Where the the first time that was not the case. I had zero confidence and I had zero belief that I could actually finish the program, and I didn't. So um, it's pretty pretty evident. Uh, but yeah, that was the <clears throat> the tipping point of my life was going back and graduating and, and looking all the instructors in the face that had sent me home because i wasn't capable to come back and and prove to them that that i am i just i wasn't prepared the first time so um i think that's that's a huge lesson a lot of people get discouraged when things don't work out and timing is everything man sometimes just the time's not right
0: so yeah, absolutely. Now you met a uh, young marine in there, so tell me about Emilio. Yeah, so I was uh, fortunate enough
1: to be roommates with uh, Emilio E. Rivera, and uh, he he was a, a a young man that changed my life. I was a kid at that point. Um, I think he was I don't know 24, 23, 24 um, and I was I was young, just turning nineteen or eighteen. I'm not I don't remember, but um, he he honestly. Uh, changed my life in, in many facets he led by example he was a physical specimen um, he, he had great morals great values he always brought solutions to problems um, he didn't bring problems to problems like he he was the go-to guy um, he won the top gun award he was he was a guy that w- was very selfless and not selfish um, and, uh, I learned a lot, a lot from him. And then obviously that, that relationship transitioned into us getting hired with Marion County after we graduated. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was an amazing time that, you know, we got to be roommates because at the Florida State Fire College, you stay, um, uh, Monday through Friday and then, uh, the weekends you can go back home, but, uh, Monday through Friday, you're in the dorms, which I believe is, is amazing for anybody coming into the fire service because you get the, Uh, experience of the brotherhood bond like you're living with the people that you're suffering with and through that builds a relationship that you know you can't really build anywhere else uh, prior to you getting on at the fire department and the cool thing about fire school is there's no rank right you guys are all the same so when you get hired in the fire department there's rank there's a little more ego where in fire school you guys are all bottom of the barrel (laughs) just trying to get the uh, certification to apply to fire school so um as it was it was an amazing experience uh three or four of my best friends to this day are from from my fire standards class so it's really cool um there's three of us that are smoke divers uh probably four to five more to come and uh, we had a solid class we had a really good class so it was uh it was the best time of my life for sure um so
0: Brilliant. Well, then walk me through your time at, at Marion and then when you felt the pull to switch departments. So uh, Marion, I
1: got hired a week after fire school. So um, we got to fire school. I got the phone calls in South Florida and I just you know got comfortable back home. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go. I, I told my dad, I was like, hey, they called, they gave me an offer. I don't think I'm going to go. He's like, no, there's, there's no thinking you're going. And, uh, so he basically told me like, like you can't, you can't stay home. So I packed my shit and I hit the road and, uh, there I was, uh, 18 turning 19 in a couple weeks and, uh, just started orientation and, um, orientation was, was tough. It was June. Um, and Marion County has always set a, a high standard for, uh, their firefighters, which is amazing. Um, they've got so many men and women that are, just amazing people, and so that was tough. That was tough two two months, and then I got put on the road, and um, I was with Marion for uh, almost five years. And then um, you know the first year at Marion, I, I was really in the mindset of this is super temporary. Let's get back to South Florida. And then after that year, I started med school, and I kind of transitioned my mindset to uh, let's get some experience and see what happens with life, and then. Life transitioned and moved on, and um, I eventually got a call from Palm Beach County Fire Rescue, and uh, I, I took I took that job, and then and left Marion, um, and that was 2019. So,
0: well, talk to me about what you achieved when you were a Marion, though, as far as special ops and, and medic.
1: So yeah, so I, I I went to medic school in Ocala or at, at Central Florida College here in Ocala, uh, Marion County paid for that, and then um, I got my flusar classes all at the Florida State Fire College, which was amazing. Um, I worked under great officers that ultimately changed my life and really laid the foundation of how the fire service should be and how I need to uphold that standard the rest of my career. Um, I worked on uh, several different units, uh, engine company, uh, the, uh, the, the ambulance slash rescues that they have that were two man, uh, just a medic and an EMT. Uh, I worked on a few truck companies, and then, um, shortly before I left, I, 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 got on the tech rescue team and, uh, and I, I, the experience that I gained there was second to none, you know, it was amazing. Uh, so from, from that value standpoint, um, it made me the person I am today. the, the, the four and a half, five years in Marion County, uh, I changed from, from a boy to a man. And, um, it, it, if it wasn't for the leaders that, that really got a hold of me and, you know, we're a beacon of light in all aspects uh, of leadership, fitness, faith, finances. Um, You know, I'll never forget one day, one of the guys, one of the the officers, he's like, we were talking about cars and uh, he he goes, you know, what's cool. And uh, I was expecting him to say a different car. He's like 50 grand in the bank. Like, like, that's cool. Like driving a nice car. That's not cool. Like you having money to buy a nice house, like that's cool. And he kind of changed the perspective on like, like what matters. And you know, I'm young, I'm 20, 21, 20 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, like any young kid, you know, you just want nice cars and, you know, not many other things you really care about, let alone a, a house. And he had been in my shoes and like he, he put on that mentorship role of like, like, let me get to this kid. That he's young because I made the mistakes of buying new cars and wasting money, and uh, you know, just just led led me, and, and now I'm I'm trying to fulfill that that
0: role like he did for me. So, now, when you were about to transition, what was the brotherhood like in your crew at that point? Oh man, we had
1: we had the best, probably the best crew I ever worked with. We'll see. I'm still young in my career, uh, but I had uh, an amazing officer in Tim Moody. Um, an an amazing man an amazing leader uh, and a a loving brother Man, I I love that guy to death Um, a driver he's a a lieutenant at at this time which is uh, Tony Gillen that you know believed in me when when nobody else did and and I hardly believed in myself Um, and then all the other young guys uh, Emilio being one of them were just high speed individuals like we just had a bunch of guys that were mission driven like they wanted to complete every mission at a hundred percent whether it was doing a pub ed whether it was running a medical call or it was a, a shans transfer from ocala to shans at two in the morning like we did it full tilt um positivity 24 7 and uh the energy there was just uh, i don't i don't see it ever being that high in my career again because the individuals that we had on that crew were were amazing so um, we were together about two years.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I can relate. I mean, people listen to this. No, I, I speak so fondly of Anaheim, my crew that I had there uh, and station one. But you mentioned Tim. Tim, I just actually went to the echelon front muster. He was there with a bunch of the other chiefs. And um, Tony was at one of the um, heavy rescue classes at the Orlando Fire Conference I took a few years ago. So yeah, both both amazing humans and amazing leaders that walk the walk. And that's the big thing. They Absolutely. don't
1: just yap. Yeah. No, no. There's there's minimal talking with those two individuals. They um they set a standard and
0: and they live it every day. Absolutely. So I know how much it sucked leaving Anaheim. Like I've I've talked about this before. I literally cried driving away on my last day when we were moving back to Florida. Um what was your transition like from Marion to Palm Palm Beach?
1: Um, it was difficult. It was difficult because I went from a standard and an expectation every shift to none of the above. Right? I was new. I was floating in Palm Beach County, and um, I just I, I didn't have the mindset of uh, learn a new system, um, be the best team player, be the best version of myself, bring the best to the table mindset. Um and, and that was that was my fault. That was it, I was it was it was terrible. It was it was not a good a good new start. I handled a lot of opportunities and situations incorrectly. And looking back, obviously hindsight's 2020. 20, but the biggest thing that that I loved about uh, the new department was being able to work with so many different people. Um, you know, I, I, I did get comfortable working with the same guys in the aspect of uh, having the expectation that everybody's high speed 24-7. And when you when you start floating in a new agency that's got almost 60 stations, you know, there's so many different attitudes and egos and energies that you work with that you have to be able to pull the best out of everybody. Um, and everybody brings something great to the table right um, so in the in the aspect of being cohesive with different characters and different um, different people um, it was amazing because it, it put me in the, the the role of okay these people don't think like Julian let's get the best out of them to make the the, the most amount of good happen for this shift um, and I'm still doing that to this day I, I've, I've definitely found my tribe down there and there's amazing people people all over the world. And, uh, Palm Beach County has some elite, 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 elite firefighters, mm-hmm. um, from the pro B position all the way to the battalion chief, um, position, like there are studs across the board. And now I try to surround myself with people that are better than me, people that are smarter, people that, uh, always lead to, to learn from them and become a better person, firefighter leader. And, uh, friend and brother. So, um, so it was tough. It was, it was definitely a tough transition, but at this time I have found, like we talked about earlier, the, I found my tribe. So anywhere you are on the planet earth, um, you, you have to find your tribe, man. Your tribe is, is will make or break you. The, The tribe mentality is that you're here for a purpose and people count on you. People count on you and you need to be dependable. Like you need to be, you need to have accountability. You need to be able to be an asset to any situation, not a liability. So
0: Yeah. Well, it was it was very kind of jarring for me. Orange County mm-hmm. floats all the time, especially when you're, you know, if you haven't got twenty years on, <laughs> you're on the float boat all the time. And to come from Anaheim where we had this cohesive crew. And yeah, we we'd go cover for a few hours, but you never float. Your station was your station, your crew was your crew. And it that tribe was just so cohesive and you knew your first Jew back to front you know i mean just it was it was amazing and then i went to orange county and again just like you said some great people in the battalion i worked in there was a higher concentration of great people but yeah you could you know float from you know station 50 where they're just getting it 24 straight out to you know bfe somewhere where you know they run one call a week and you they basically are in their dorm all day. You know what I mean. So it was so so hard, and I actually, you know, it was depressing. Like I I, I was mourning my own crew, and and I'll be honest, I never found a crew as good as as my Anaheim, you know, boys and girls, because that that department was amazing, and I met, as you said, some great great people. But it was heartbreaking because it was kind of a downward slide after that. I never had that true cohesion again.
1: Right. Yeah. I was I was taught by these these individuals that are, are amazing humans, that you have to branch off your awesomeness. So you can't expect to to stay with the same people. Like, like we we are leaders for that reason. Like, we need to lead everybody, not just a certain group of people that make us feel good, that make us feel comfortable. Like, that's not using our leadership to the best of its ability. Like, we need to be put in situations where people don't agree with us where people don't do what we do. People don't have a standard we have and elevate them to the best versions of themselves. Um, and and that's, that's the biggest takeaway. And, and I love it, man. I mean, we've created this tribe in, in Palm beach that uh, we've got probably 30, 40 people now that are, I mean, high speed. And we've, we've literally embedded the culture that we are going to make everybody around us better. And most of us float. But when we float into different stations, like we bring a lot of energy and we bring uh, the best leadership and the best amount of knowledge and decision making that we can. And, uh, you know, we, we know our role. We know that, you know, we're still young, but with that, you still bring a lot to the table. Um, I think the biggest thing I struggled with was knowing my place. You definitely have to know your place uh, in, in any agency and know who your audience is, right? Uh, You may know a lot more than certain people, but that doesn't mean your opinion needs to be voiced, right? You don't want to be the boy who cried wolf that whenever there's a problem or a situation, you speak up because then when something really matters, nobody's gonna listen to you, right? So if you have an opinion and you feel strongly about it, really think about if it's gonna make a difference.
0: All right. Well, speaking of leadership, I know there was uh, a crucible that you put yourself in not once, but twice. And that's actually where we first met was you climbing up and down the tower at Florida State during the smoke divers when I went to to drop in. So talk to me about your decision the first time. And then again, the preparation for the second. So the first time it was a,
1: it was just a challenge. It was a class that was uh, described as, you know, one of the hardest classes you could take as a firefighter. I didn't understand what it was. And uh, I showed up just like I did to fire school the first time, uh, unprepared. <laughs> and um, But I learned a lot to that experience. I learned that like anything in life, um, you know, life rewards effort. And there was minimal effort put into the first appearance uh, at the Florida Smoke Diver Program due to me being in medical school. Um, but I learned a lot in that aspect. And uh, it was a kind of a wild ride, man. I, I, I wanted to go back the next year. Um, I got hurt the next year. And then the year after that, they didn't have the program um, I, I, uh, because of the burn building. The burn building was was torn down, so they weren't gonna have a program without a burn building. So I had to kind of wait a couple years, and it kind of worked out in my favor because I just kept developing as a firefighter, as as a person. My fitness levels increased, and then um, 2019, uh, I decided to to go all in and, and go. Um, but it was it was difficult because I was a probationary firefighter for Palm Beach County. Um, that was the year that I lost. Uh, you know, one of my best friends, Emilio Rivera, to uh, suicide, and um, you know, uh, all it was all on the table. Like there was no, like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was gonna, I was gonna get that chip. I was gonna pass the program. Um, still to this day, one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, from an endurance standpoint, of six days of challenges that were just like they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it was, it was amazing. Uh, the confidence skills and knowledge that I took back from from that program you know are, are everlasting so
0: well you um, you mentioned Emilio when before we start recording you talked about some of the some of the things that you were seeing leading up so I think it's very important for you know for us to to hear about some of the the precursors because as you mentioned the, the way that we fix this is to stop people getting there in the first place and I think that you know uh, Unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether it's, you know, cheating, gambling, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, you know, exercise even, overtime. I mean, these are all things that can be used to an extreme. We need to we need to learn from each other, from each other's stories so that maybe we can see before it's too late, Right? you know. I mean, like, you know, even, even at crisis point, it's so hard to pull someone back. I mean, Chad was there, Chad Belger. I mean, he spoke very courageously about his journey and I was there in his home. And, you know, he was at the absolute end of his rope. So kind of knowing him from the academy, you know, what were you seeing leading up to that? And then tell me, you know, if you want to go there, you know, about yeah, yeah, when absolutely. you finally heard. Yeah,
1: so basically he um, he kind of had a, a, a downshift in his fitness. And, I, and it all started with a back injury, uh, I think, two and a half years prior. Uh, he was moving a patient. He hurt his back. And uh, I think that was – probably the the, the the worst thing that could have happened because he his outlet which was the the gym and lifting weights was taken away from him and um you know he got back healthy but he wasn't he wasn't lifting the amount of weight he used to lift and he his release was from that for sure and um I could just see a, a decline in his diet and not by a crazy amount of, I mean, he still looked amazing performed um t- to a high fucking standard but um, from the, the guy I knew, like he was a very, uh, very particular person when it came to his aesthetic, his physique, and and, and I could see a, a slip. And I remember one day making a comment about it, and he kind of pivoted and was just like, oh, no, man, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty strong. I'm, I'm still, I still look good. And he did, for sure. He looked good. And, uh, you know, it was, I think it was two weeks before he, he took his life, he, um, he called me. And he left a voice message, and he was like, "Hey, man, uh, I just want to let you know that, you know, uh, I, I love you and, and I miss you." And uh, and he uh, <laughs> he called me a word. I'm I'm gonna leave out of the conversation, but uh, it, I heard that 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 voicemail, and I found it very odd because he was not that person. He wasn't emotional. He wasn't uh, he wasn't one to just tell you, "I love you," out of nowhere, right? If the situation was 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 dependent on it he would do it but to just call and leave a voicemail that was very abnormal so I called him and uh, he answered the phone Uh, about an hour later I called him he answered the phone and he diverted like he usually did so I was like oh he's just being typical fucking Emilio like he's just being a prick which is who he was Um, and you know my busy life I just continued forward I never really put thought into it and then two weeks later you know he took his life Come to find out, he called um, a few people. He called uh, like three to five people and did the same thing, same exact thing. Left the voicemail, um, and then they would call him back, and then he would just like, "Oh, don't worry about it, man. I gotta go," and then click. So it was his 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 last goodbye, you know. So it was uh it was tough. It was like like I, we talked about. I went through all the stages of death. Um, you know, I, I I was mad at him. I was I was sad, and then I was uh, finally accepting, which is the stage I'm in now. Of you know, like like I just accept it. It's 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 terrible, but like we talked about earlier, you can you can get good things come from everything, right? Good and bad events in life. Nine um, Eleven is a prime example. Um, it was such a tragic day, but a lot of good came after that day, right? Exactly the day after. America united together. Um, we kind of got away from that, but <clears throat> from his death, um, his brother has, has done an, an amazing job at being a father at leading his, his wife, leading his, his two boys, um, and leading his family, you know, and then I'll say it on the podcast in a way, Emilio never did. And, uh, I think that was, that was kickstarted by what Emilio did. So, um, you know, we, we miss him a lot, but he taught us lessons that, you know, we'll, we'll never forget. And we're, we're grateful that we had the time we did with with him. And I think we get away from that with humans. We expect a lifelong relationship, a lifelong, um, you know, access point of like, I'll always be able to talk to this person. Uh, I'll always be able to hang out with this person, go to bed with your other half every night. And the fact of the matter is, is that's not true. You know, from any given moment, they can be taken um and, and you, you got to move on you know that's the world we live in so
0: now he was a marine before had he ever talked about you know any of the things maybe haunting him or just just some of the yeah he the just things he had to see or do he he, he had he had PTSD
1: obviously from uh, the deployments that he he endured um and he would never had any good vices to deal with it uh, let me not say that he he did have good vices um his good vice was was exercise but he had poor. He had a poor sleeping habit, and he had a a really bad. Um, I wouldn't say addiction. I call it addiction. Addiction with alcohol. Self medicating. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was self medicating. So, um, but th- that's the trio of a of a really bad, um, a really bad thing coming out of pipe. Um, and then, like I said, once he hurt his back, um, that kind of, you know, he didn't have the 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 weightlifting to to cope so he just you know went down a dark dark path and uh and yeah looking back i mean we tried we did we tried helping him uh, i don't believe in the uh the mantra of we did everything we could because we can always do more right that's bullshit when you when, when you hear somebody say well we did everything we could he didn't want to help himself that's all bullshit it's all bullshit we we as humans can can do better Um uh, we're gonna do better we're, we're constantly evolving um, there's so much negativity in this world because people are portraying that everywhere you look. But if you look at the good in the world, we're, we're doing a lot of good for humanity. Um, I, I, I truly believe that. Uh, if you, it's like anything, man. If you look, look at something too long, then it 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 consumes you. It you think that that's that's the reality, and the reality is that, that mankind we are making progressive strides in in a lot of areas of life so
0: yeah well i think another key you talk about doing better i mean i agree i mean i talk about sleep deprivation i talk about a whole bunch of other things you know that we can absolutely do better to move the needle on this but another one is um understanding that just because it's your first day in the fire service doesn't mean that you haven't got a bucket full of trauma that you're bringing in whether it's from the military whether it's from your childhood and you know one area that i talked about a lot on here is Rather than doing these BS psych tests and polygraphs that are all they're doing is checking the box so an employer can cover their ass, that we do counseling sessions as we go through the academy. The same way as you're going to PT, you do mental PT, and you may have nothing, you know, really to offset. And great, beautiful, you still create a relationship with that therapist now for the rest of your career. But there's a high, high probability knowing, you know, this this uh, profession attracts people that have been through some stuff um you know that maybe that will open some doors and help people deal with some things before they start the sleep deprivation and and all the compounding trauma that we get once we're on the job
1: yeah the uh, the fire department is a catalyst for PTSD um it is coming there's no st- it's a train that has no brakes and uh it's coming down a mountain um so if you don't have the appropriate vices the appropriate skills to uh, acknowledge when you go down the wrong path or the, the days get dark. Um, it's it's just a compounding effect. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And um, what's crazy too is not only this, the amount of suicides that we have on the line, but retirees, um, they kind of get forgotten about. And, um, you know, it's that's that compounding 25, 30 year career that they never dealt with it. And that now they're not occupied with working. They have a lot of time to think. And when they think a lot they turn to alcohol they don't sleep for shit because of the career they had and then you know they want the pain to end so they commit suicide um and that's another topic of we need people and there there are people out there doing their best uh, but we need people to keep continuing helping the transition out of the fire service that's i mean uh, uh there's a individual he was a marine he wrote the book i forget the name of it but it's transitioning out of the military um, I don't know how to say his last name but um, there needs to be just as much attention on uh, transitioning out of the fire service and at, at all aspects like there's there's a huge problem with individuals that can't mentally un, uh, uh, can't cope with the things that they're seeing and they've been taught such a singular focused skill of fighting fire or you know uh, running EMS calls that they're like, what would I do without this, right? And and we need to do a better job of educating our guys that the skills you've learned here, you can apply so many other places and do other things that don't put you under this mental trauma that you can't cope with. Um, and and we, don't, we don't have that, we don't have that. You know, there's so many guys that are in their 15, 12, 18 year career that like they're burnt, man. And they just don't know what to do. And like, like the fire department, well, you got to get that pension. So you got to work till 25 or 20 years. And, you know, and, and I think that's terrible. That's a terrible mindset because you're limiting each person's belief of their capabilities and their skill set. And I'll, I'll tell you, man, you put any of us in other roles outside of the fire department and we can excel. You know, we're great team players. We solve problems. Like we maintain our composure under pressure. Like those are attributes that, any company or any other skill set, like they're very important. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, Nick Kumalatsos is Nick's name. I had to look it up because uh, I totally was uh, brain farting. Then, um, no, but you're right. And then with the um, the transition out, that's something that I see a lot because after, you know, 15, 20, 25 years, a lot of us identify as a firefighter instead of, uh, you know, as Julian, who happens to be a firefighter. And I agree with you completely. The skill set that we have is completely applicable. And people that have transitioned well that I've seen are people that have started that up so they have another tribe to transition into, whether it's actually a job, whether it's volunteering, whether it's, you know, GORUCK or a CrossFit gym or, you know, whatever. But you have this other group and then also carrying the same purpose in whatever you do next. Like we signed up because we want to make the world better. So I know people that have gone into, you know, like financial advisement or, you know, whatever that doesn't have that kind of altruistic purpose and they've hated it, you know, but when they found the nonprofit that they formed or whatever it was that still was on that same track, just wearing a different uniform, that seems to be another very powerful thing that allows that transition to be a lot more flawless than, you know, one day the bay doors close behind you and it's like. Yeah, someone else is in that seat now. Thanks. Bye.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh for the longest time, I didn't want to face the fact, but the fire department is a big machine that is constantly moving, you know. And no matter how much good you do, how no much how, how no matter how much influence you make, um when when the chapter is over, the chapter's over. And there's another new guy just starting his career, and it's just a, a constant cycle. So you you have to do your best show up to work with the most amount of knowledge you can take the classes you know make fitness a priority make health a priority make your mental wellness a priority and be always like changing and always growing in the aspect of like you're ready to transition like you're ready to do new things you're ready to take on new endeavors you're ready to put yourself in situations that you're not comfortable in you're not gonna excel that way when the time comes like you're you're you're, you're trained for it. it's like anything like if you don't train for a jiu-jitsu competition no matter how good of a firefighter you are if you show up like you're gonna get wrecked so if you don't train to transition out of the fire department like it's gonna be extremely fucking difficult um and 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 we don't have anybody explaining that to anybody it's just take the most amount of classes lead promote um you know Run the calls, run them great, and then, all right, your thirty-year stent's over. Like, good luck, you know. And I don't think it's anybody's fault, but it's just a machine of of the fire service. So,
0: yeah, here's some health coverage. Now I'm just fucking with you. Bye. (laughs) That's it. Good luck with your injuries and your mental health problems.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's it. And most, like, Palm Beach, man, we're, we're we're grateful. Our retirees are in our insurance, but most fire departments, you're cut like, like you're cut. So, uh, we have our own clinic down South and it's truly amazing. Uh, let me tell you that the, the department I work for is, is through and through, uh, amazing. We have so many great things. Um, and you know, but we also, we lack some stuff that we need to work on like anybody. Um, uh, but they truly take care of us. Um, and, and that was very, uh, evident during COVID. They, no questions asked. They took care of us, uh, sick, Tested positive. Whatever the case was, they took care of us. So I couldn't ask for a, a better department.
0: Now, what were you seeing in Palm Beach County during COVID? Because I mean, there's, there's been, you know, so many different perspectives and everyone's is right. Like, what you see is what you see. So if you're in Manhattan, you know, um, kind of what would it be? Spring 2020, you know, and you're in the ICU. Of course, you're seeing a very, very different lens than someone in rural Montana, You know, in maybe a a, a small hospital there. But I'm always curious. It's not a loaded question at all. But, you know, what were you seeing as far as the impact where you were?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, people were sick. People were sick. People were sick at the fire department. Um, There was guys that were full-blown COVID at the fire station. They would interact with the whole crew. So let's just say five other people. And then the oncoming crew, which is six people. So you're talking 11. And... Sometimes one or two other guys would test positive. Sometimes nobody else would test positive. You'd, we'd run calls on patients. Some patients were very sick. Uh, we were exposed. Nobody got COVID. Then sometimes patients weren't sick, had COVID, we would get COVID. So there's really no rhyme or reason. There's no algorithm that I ever came to the conclusion like this is A plus B equal, or 1 or, plus 1 equals 2. Like There was... I still don't understand. It's it's something that's just it's it's crazy. I do think um, prior ailments uh, makes you a higher risk for this, absolutely. Um, and, and and that's that's where we're at with that. Um, so it's 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 a real virus, real disease. I think if you have ignored your health for fifteen twenty years, you should be scared. Coronavirus or not you need to take care of yourself. Like, you, you know, it's there shouldn't have to be a, a a global pandemic for you to realize like, oh, 15 years of not taking care of myself and now you're scared. Like, why, why haven't you been scared? Oh, because you've been prescribed medication to keep you alive for 15, 20 years. You know, to me,
0: that's that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. it's crazy. Now, what about so, the hospitals? I mean, were you overflowing the whole time? They were busy.
1: They were busy, but nothing nothing crazy. I think the biggest thing was uh, a lot of the nurses just stopped working. You know, it wasn't worth them making money. And then a lot of the travel nurses took advantage of it, and uh, a lot of a lot of new nurses from all over the world um, just filling a spot. So um, they they definitely got the short end of the stick during this whole pandemic. And then now with them getting fired, it's it's <laughs> it's crazy. They're getting fired without being vaccinated when they were the ones on the front line working during. During this is—it's crazy to me. It's yeah. Crazy to me. Well, so. you talked
0: about nine twelve versus today, right? You know, the yeah. gratitude is gone very quickly. Here to is zero. Yeah. Yeah. And the same people that you know were supposedly being lauded as heroes—I mean, I think it was lip service—are now being labeled selfish and all this stuff because they won't get a vaccine. And I think to me, and I've said this multiple times already, but it's not about them. It's about. This, these people that call themselves leaders, which is complete, you know, mislabeling in my opinion. If you can't educate a country to the pros, the cons, the background, the everything of this virus and the treatment methods and the vaccination, um, then and you've got this country divided. And, and you've you've absolute. There's no no better example of a fucking epic failure of leadership than what we're seeing right now. What we should have is a vast majority that are like, okay, I have my TB shot. I have my, you know, my tetanus. Doesn't seem like that big a deal. You have the one side that are like, come hella high water, not having it. They're never going to have it. Good for you. Here's the information. You understand what you're going through. You know, don't be surprised if you do get it and it's worse, but hopefully you won't. No one's wishing it on you. And then, you know, you get the other ones that are going to do it regardless. But instead, I think we've got a lot of those middle population. That aren't getting it just because it's been politicized and just completely abused and turned into this agenda rather than what it actually is and as you said the underlying health conditions was completely you know it was I've said this many times it was like heresy early on how dare you talk about obesity how dare you talk about diabetes and then now you know a year later there's a study saying that it's completely right well of course it is we could all see that you fucking idiot and you were acting like it wasn't you know so to me, it's so sad. Now you've got, you know, now you've got police officers who are having to enforce these rules. You see the scenes in Australia. I mean, I can't imagine being a cop over there and having to enforce that bullshit, you know. And at the same time, be told if you don't take the vaccine, you're also going to be fired. You know, I mean, <laughs> it just, I mean, it's an absolute shitstorm, and yeah, it's just it nauseating.
1: It is. It is. It's a. Uh, it's it's crazy, man. It's just it's it's insane. I, I think that's the biggest downfall we've had is the the way they portrayed this information was, we don't know anything about this. This is new, but this is what you need to do. Like, you can't say that <laughs> because then you're going to eat your words two weeks later when new evidence comes up and then what you just said doesn't work. Then not one mask, two masks. Now, vaccine, no mask. Now, vaccine, mask again. It's just like people, you're you're, you're, you're using humans as puppets and there comes a point where they're like, hold on a second, like what's really going on here? So mm.
0: Yeah. And what what really bothered me as well is that I think everyone aligns, when this first came out, everyone was like, Oh, this is this could be really bad. But then the next wave was like, hey, yes, this is real, this, this is bad, but it's not anywhere near as bad as we were all thinking at the beginning. But that was never portrayed either. It was never like, Hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z. However, here's some good news for you. We were predicting hundreds of millions, we've, you know, we're in the hundreds of thousands right now. Great freaking news, you know? You know, and I want you to go outside. When you get sunlight, don't go in a stadium right now, you know? Don't go on a face-licking competition, you know what I mean? smart. But go to the beach, go to the park, get fresh air, get sunlight, get exercise. You know, we'll keep the gyms open. Maybe we'll close the fast food restaurants, you know? But it was a polar opposite of everything I just said. And it made people more vulnerable to disease, Sicker, fatter, mm-hmm. you know, and it's depressed. You know, yeah. So again, there's no, zero leadership. It's been nauseating. So I hope whatever happens in 2024 that we just pull the plug or hit Control Alt Delete <laughs> and say, "All right, we need to just start from scratch. Start over. This is yeah. so broken. Yeah. Left and right, you're both horrible. Yeah. We need, you know, we need center. Yeah. We That's where calm. most people are. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> well, I hear Joe Rogan's running for president. So
0: is he actually <laughs> no i don't think so I don't think <laughs> yeah so. well i mean i've you know, i've talked about this a few times i think tulsi gabbard is is fantastic i think she's an independent but she's one of the few people i've heard it just seems like a normal person she's right. a military veteran if you care about what's between someone's legs she's a woman you know it shouldn't make any difference no. skin color gender but um but yeah she's just middle of the road and you know jocko seems to love her tim kennedy loves her yeah. joe rogan loves her i mean these are people that you know, a normal middle of the road people too. Mm. You know, that's all seem to and I, everyone, both sides, yeah. And I've so many people I've known that are kind of pretty extreme left or right. They've all said, "Oh no, she seems pretty cool." That's what leadership is—you bring people together, right? You know, what absolutely. I mean? Anyway, deviating from that. So, tell me about you know you you, you got the into fire school a second time as you mentioned. You you were fitter. What was your journey into truly, you know, chasing, you know, ex- uh, elite tactical athlete fitness and then how did that take you to ultra running?
1: Um, so basically just consistency, consistency with running. Um, I've never been a huge runner, but I, I probably run in anywhere between six to eight miles a week. Um, and then uh, I, I believe in lifting weights. Uh, the only cross that workout I really do is, is Murph. Um, I usually do Murph once every two weeks. And then um, I was just consistent over time, and it just built a, a good base. And then when I decided to go to Smoke Divers, it was uh, consistency in gear, um, which is huge, right? Anybody can can crush a, a workout when you throw on bunker gear; it's a different ball game. So, and and more of the mental conditioning than the physical conditioning, because physically I was great, but mentally you get a certain level of of heat index in your body. And you, you start making different decisions. So you need to be able to c- control, maintain your composure, maintain your thought process and slow things down, control your breathing and control the things you can, just like in life, right? Effort and attitude. Well, when you're in gear and, and you're working, there's a time to work and then there's a time to bring everything back down. Because if you're sick chypnick or breathing fast, have an elevated heart rate and you're hot, that's a recipe for disaster. So... Um, You can't really control your heart rate, but if you control your breathing, your heart rate will also come down. Um, But that comes with fitness, that comes with training, that comes with putting yourself in that situation and and training your body to know when it's time to shift down and then shift up and understand the the different systems of aerobic versus anaerobic, Um, and that's just through training. You have to train, you have to put the work in. So there's an email sent out when you you are are trying to attempt smoke divers, and the first sentence says, If you don't train in gear, you will fail. And that's spot on. (laughs) Like, there's no way around it. Like, you don't uh, not train and and show up and crush this class. So, and then from the aspect of uh, ultra running, uh, I really didn't even know what an ultra was. Um, It it was from the aspect of uh, Emilio's brother, Gary, created a foundation after his brother called the Emilio Rivera Foundation. And he like any nonprofit, you need, you need money to, to do things, to sponsor people, to help people, so I told them I would do something crazy to, to raise some money, and, uh, you know, after a few weeks of thinking, you know, I was like, you know what, I, I feel like if I ran 100 miles in, in a day, that's pretty impressive, and I had no idea about the sport, about the trail races, about any of that stuff, and, uh, Come to find out like 100 miles in 24 hours is is, is impressive. It's like running a three-hour marathon. It's it's impressive. So I set out, I trained, COVID hit, the race got canceled and we pivoted and uh, I had a group of, fu- of firefighters that are, are, are my, my brothers, uh, you know, I'd do anything for them. They, uh, they crewed me and I ran from, what is it, what's the city called, um, New Smyrna to Jacksonville uh, right up A1A. So uh, a couple pickup trucks and, uh, and we, we did it. So I, I couldn't have done it without them.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. So
1: tell me how that took
0: you to the project.
1: So, you know, a week before I did my run, uh, I saw uh, 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 online advertisement through a guy I followed named Ray Care. And um, it was this program for, for self-development uh, for men. It's 75 hours. And, I was like, oh, that looks hard. Uh, you know, I put my interest card in and I did a 100 mile race. Two weeks later, I was kind of depressed. You know, what's next? And I get a phone call from one of the instructors saying, hey, let's talk about if to see if you're the right fit for this program. And I was super intrigued about it. And I said, you know what? Like, this is the next challenge. So that was that. And then I was off to, to Chino, California. So um, to, to attempt to, to complete this 75-hour program.
0: Now, as a firefighter paramedic, you were able to put your skills into action a little bit while you were there.
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't planning on it, but there was there was a medical emergency that arose and um, I, I shifted from survival of this class to, to do what what I do every day. And um, it was pretty crazy because um, to the to lay person, we act like robots, like whatever the, the, the emergency is, we, we treat them appropriately and there's a little bit of thinking, but like the training kicks in immediately and we act. Um, we act off of instinct. We act off of experience and that's exactly what I did and the guys that had never in- encountered this medical emergency, you could, you could tell very clearly that, that this was not normal <laughs> and me maintaining my composure and, and, and problem-solving, like, uh, you know, it was it was really neat to be put in a situation and
0: uh, help to the best that I could. Brilliant. So how did that lead to you create an idea of how you want to help young firefighters and potential firefighters? So that basically just led me down the, the road of,
1: um, you know, I'm not the endurance athlete I want to be yet. I'm not the the name that I want to be. You know, uh, I'll, I'll get there eventually through life experience. But right now, I've made my fair share of mistakes uh, on probation. i made my fair share of mistakes in the fire department in life. And I want to fill the gap between the expectation of the rookie firefighter that's going to fire school and the probationary firefighter that needs mentorship. I, I truly believe mentorship is huge um, if you want to succeed at a high level, if you want to dominate fire school, if you want to dominate probation. And you're going to make mistakes, right? And I'm just going to guide you how to bounce back from those mistakes, how to um, approach situations that I had no idea how to approach because I didn't have a mentor coming into the fire department um, that I was comfortable speaking with. I, I had a, I had a few mentors, but those guys were high-level chiefs and I, I didn't want to bother them with problems that I felt were beneath them. And it, essentially they were. They, they, they progressed beyond uh, this level in their career. And you have to be able to address problems or situations with people that are relatable that you can you know sympathize and empathize with um, not somebody that's three to four rank structures above you Um, so so I've created a program that's eight weeks that uh, is an eight-week fitness and nutrition program with mentorship along those eight weeks and kind of gets you dialed in um, uh, your faith your fitness and your finance aspect of the trio of being a firefighter is, is more than just, you know, getting in gear and crushing the Academy. Like I want to set people up for a successful, like life as well as a career, um, and and give them the tools that will, you know, have them ready for any scenario at work or in life. Beautiful. And where can people find that? Um, so the, uh, Instagram handle is going to be prepared to fight fire. Um, and then, uh, there's going to be a link in the bio when the website is up. The website's almost been developed.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, I'd love to shift to some closing questions before we let you go. Um, the first question I'd love to ask, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated?
1: Yeah, so uh, the number one book I recommend is called The 5am Club. The 5am Club uh, changed my life. It's a book about... Um, this very, very influential person that meets these two people and says, "If you want to change your life, come with me to my private island," and he changes their life through waking up early, um, being intentional, and doing everything with a purpose. Um, these two people completely changed the, the, the path of their life that where it was going to where it is now, and uh, it, it changed my life forever. So, brilliant.
0: Same question: What about a movie and or documentary?
1: movie or documentary um that's a tough one that's a really tough one i would have to say probably lone survivor lone survivor showed aspects of leadership that you know sometimes you you have to trust the leader You, you always have to trust the leader through his experience um through his knowledge and and through him being in the position he's in, um, you got to have faith in him, even if it's not the right decision, you know, and, and obviously in, in that situation, um, it could go left or right of what the, the right decision was. So,
0: Absolutely. What about a guest? Is there someone you recommend to come on this podcast to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Bedros Koulian would, would be an awesome guest. Um, he is hes a man that is a a leader in in his family and in his community, and then a a great role model in in all facets of life. So
0: beautiful. All right. Well, then the last question for you, make sure everyone knows where to find you specifically. What do you do to decompress? So the biggest thing um, we talked, kind of
1: talked about this earlier vices. You got to find your good vices. Uh, Recently, I picked up golf, 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 removes me from the world. And if I focus on a little ball and a swing, (laughs) so it's a disconnect from reality. Um, but I run, I do yoga. Um, I go for, for swims in the ocean, paddleboard. Um, I hike, you know, I I travel, you know, there's, there's, you can do a lot of traveling on on a simple budget and just get outdoors, man. You got to get outside, get outside, think, remove the music, just, just be one with your thoughts. It's really healthy for you. You figure a lot of things out when you just think um, and are exposed to the elements of trees and and I don't want to get woo woo on you, but it's super important to to breathe oxygen and, and get the appropriate sunlight through physical activity. Um, I think a lot of our ailments are caused from the the inadequacy of of being exposed to sunlight and breathing oxygen in, in nature and, and stuff like that. So
0: absolutely all right well then if people want to reach out to you i mean you mentioned about the fire uh excuse me prepare to fight fire site that's coming are there any other places online that they can reach out to you now
1: yeah so my instagram and facebook is the julian serrano um and, and that's where I'm, I'm pretty pretty much at uh, on there so yeah anybody wants any questions or uh any help and any anything i could help with you know i'd be more than happy to
0: and then, what about the uh, Emilio uh, Rivera Foundation? Where can people find that?
1: So that that's exactly the name on Instagram, the Emilio Rivera Foundation. If you know anybody that uh, wants to go to fire school and you know can't afford it and is a good candidate, um, you know, check out the website. Um, the next opening, I think, is going to be in May of next year. We already have a candidate for January, um, but uh, be prepared physically and mentally um, to if you want to receive the the. Award of the scholarship because the, there's a high standard
0: for it for sure. Okay, and people can donate there too. Absolutely, yeah, brilliant. All right, well, Julian, I want to say thank you, mate. It's been a great conversation. We talked for a long time before we even hit record, um, but it sounds like you know, I mean, you, your transparency and you mentioned this before. You know, if you look at your Instagram account, I mean, you're doing you know some amazing things, traveling, running, um, and you had talked about wishing that people had kind of we're aware of some of the failures some of the the downs that made you who you are today and so it's been really great to hear you know here's this ultra runner this smoke diver you know this this uh, leader um who came from failing fire school failing the first time at smoke diver so i think that's a really really important kind of journey for people to hear so thank you so much for being so generous today i appreciate you for having me